You are listening to the Twibbly Podcast, or This Week Was Way Better Last Year, a comedy podcast looking back at this week in history. You can find us on Spotify, iTunes, Amazon Music, Podbean, iHeartRadio, or wherever you like to get your podcasts from. If you want to follow us on social medias or message us with some suggestions for worst ever segments, you can do that over on Facebook or Instagram using TWWWBLY. Welcome back to Twibbly, or this week was way better last year. My name is Bill with one L. With me, his mission, should he choose to accept it, is to co-host this podcast. <laughs> it's Mr. Jeff McLaughlin. It's, it's mission possible. Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> Since we've done this for how many years now, Bill? Many. Uh, Many. Several. Several. All right, man. Well, you know, as we still don't know how long we've been doing this podcast together... What's new? We're at the beginning of the new year. Yeah. So one of the most boring things I can possibly think of is when somebody has a dream and they try to describe it to you, right? So I will skate as far away from this because this is not what I want to talk about. Mm -hmm. I had this dream last night that one of my friends that I haven't talked to in a very long time was working for like a outlaw dentist, <laughs> like, a de like somebody that did like dental work. But, like, they weren't a licensed doctor, right. you know, or a licensed dentist or whatever. And for whatever reason, I had been going to this outlaw dentist whose name was Squirrel, by the way. And <laughs> Okay. And Squ Squirrel yeah, and the like, dentist, huh? Yeah. So, yeah, buyer beware. And, like, my friend that I haven't talked to in a very long time, he was, like, working for Squirrel. Yeah. And then, like, this dude, like, had up my teeth like something fierce right so i'm over there getting in my friend's face i'm calling him every name in the book and this that and the other and he like completely turned on me like because i'm like i want my money back you right, right. You, you screwed me out of thousands of dollars and in the dream he's like i don't care muhaha muhaha <laughs> like i'm like super aggravated about it because like not only are my teeth all jacked up but like i'm out of you know out of several thousand dollars and all that right so I sent a text message to this dude, and like I said, I haven't talked to him in like a year. He immediately texts me back with, you know, the, the basically it was like a YouTube comment section come to life. He sent me back this like response that was like the political argument <laughs> du jour. It didn't matter. It doesn't even matter if it was left or right. Right. It's. Because they're both the same when it, when you get to that point, right? You know. Yes. Yeah, and you, it's easy to fall into the trap of that being like regular conversation because I think we're inundated with it in social media and like I'm yeah. not a TV guy anymore, so I watch a lot of YouTube videos and other stuff, and it's like it's constantly there as well. So right, it's weird that folks feel like they need to sort of demonstrate their fly their flag. Right, they're political yeah. bona fides for something as simple as like I had a dream about you working for a crooked dentist. Well, you know the nightmare is really this, and it's like, yeah, man, um, 
It's a good thing I didn't have you dressed as a, you know, dream about you as a taxi driver, because God knows what you'd spout off. Yeah, you don't want to hear about the second half of the dream, right. where my car got, like, sucked up by the updraft of a helicopter, and I was floating over water and thought, sure, I was going to die. Right. Well, you know, yeah, the real uh, nightmare yeah, there what? is the uh, d- is the decline in mechanical engineering of helicopters, Bill. We all know that. <laughs> Yeah, some sort of like because of the deep state or whatever the conspiracy <laughs> theory to yours. Yes, yeah, so pick any one, uh, and it'll work. And like for the life of me, I say that I can't understand it, uh, and I should be able to understand it because I fell down that hole mm-hmm. a while back, probably twenty years ago or more. Yeah, you know, I fell I fell down that hole of just like arguing politics every chance I got. It's really pointless. It really is pointless. It's a it's a never ending sea. For me, I yeah, I've stopped. I don't argue politics. It, certainly not on the internet anymore. And very rarely will I talk about it with people who I don't know very very well, because it doesn't bring me any happiness. I don't feel no. like I'm getting anything out of it except irritated. And I consume probably just as yeah. much political stuff as anybody else does. Ranting at you or arguing with you, not that we've ever argued over anything, uh, or with someone, or not yet, or with someone else. Like, yeah. what's the end game of that? I'm not going to change their mind. They're not going to change mine. Like, isn't it more important to find the things that we have in common than the things that separate us? That's my, my God. This, uh, thank uh, you for coming to my TED talk. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I remember one of my friends that was arguing with another one of my friends and not even arguing. They were agreeing. But the other person was so used to taking the contrary point. He didn't understand that the person wasn't arguing with him. So the other person goes, listen, how do I agree with you? I agree with you, but you don't believe me. How do I how do I get you to believe me that I believe you? Right. And yeah, I don't know why this has become such the na- uh, the national pastime when there is no joy to it. You know, I watch horror movies, and people are like I don't know how people can watch horror movies, but like you get that surge of adrenaline from the you know the scares and stuff like that. When you come <laughs> down for it, you, yes. you you feel cool, you know. And same thing with comedy. Comedies make you smile. Comedies make you laugh. Sad movies, like you said, you you get the emotion, but you like get through it and all that. Anger? I don't understand why you would pursue anger. I don't get it. Yeah, I, I, I don't understand it either. Because I think, at least as far as politics goes, find yourself, I find myself uh, reading things that make me unhappy. And, and when I do that, I've, I miss some of the things that make me smile. Like, for example, one mm-hmm. of our millions of New Hampshire representatives here in the state just proposed the bill to make owning a kangaroo illegal in New Hampshire, which... Uh, you know, I watch videos of people getting the kicked out of there by kangaroos, and I thought, <laughs> who wants that? Also, <laughs> why would you put a bill in for that? But uh, there is one, so, you know, who knows? Maybe you'll see majestic herds of kangaroos hopping around when you come up next year, the one day you work at the haunt in New Hampshire. You know what I what I know about kangaroos? But, you know, besides... Uh... They're marsupials and stuff like that. Right. I know that they're incredibly difficult to domesticate. That's what I know about them. <laughs> yeah. Yes, and they are. They're made of 100 percent muscle and anger. So. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. That's enough non-politic talk. Let's yes. get on to the show. All right. All right. So uh, before we get on to the show, 
I do have my very popular and always well-received trivia question. Hey, Jeff. Yep. Here I am, yep. Uh, yeah, very recently, a couple of months ago, the Beatles, with the help of AI, were able to record and release the last song. I think it was called Then and Now or yes. Now and Then or something. Yes. I listened to it once. It was it was a Beatles song. Correct. It wasn't something I was waiting 50 years to hear, but there it is. Right. Uh, now and Then. Yeah, Now and Then it's called. I think the buildup was a lot you know, better than the song itself, but whatever. Prior to the Beatles breaking up, uh, you know, before new technology was uh, afoot. Mm-hmm. So when the Beatles were actually still together uh, in the 60s and squeaking into the 70s, I think, uh, what was the last song that they recorded together? Oh, hmm. So you're asking about what was the last song they recorded when they were all together? Yep. Now. Okay. Yes. Well, I guess I'll tell you at the end of the show, the last song that they recorded when they were all together. Now. Now. Yeah. All right. But all that aside, this is going to be the week beginning January the 1st. Wow. What a way to start. Hey, well, Boom. 2004, the, baby. That's right. 2024, not 2004. Oh, sorry. Yeah. 20 years off, uh, Bill. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> I was, I'm still back in my political argument days. All right. Uh, yeah. So 2024. Well, I think it's your turn to start. All right. First of all, Happy New Year. And then. January first, <laughs> January first, seventeen twenty four, glassblower yep. Daniel Gabriel Fahrenheit proposes a system for making thermometers, and he invents the Fahrenheit temperature scale, which is selected by the Royal Society of London. He's elected a fellow based on the the strength of that paper, and Fahrenheit becomes the temperature measure to use for hundreds of years until the metric system is invented and Celsius is determined. And Celsius is superior, I'll thank you to know. It's not a question of inferior or superior, considering the technology that Daniel Fahrenheit had oh. at the time. Uh, it is uh, superior, seeing as the Fahrenheit scale is stupid and arbitrary. It's So that's the thing, is it's not arbitrary. The okay, human, wait, hold the, on. Cel- hold on. You, let, me, let me argue for Celsius here. Yeah. Water freezes, or it goes from uh, liquid to solid. Right at zero correct and it goes from liquid to gas at 100 right in the fahrenheit it goes from liquid to solid at 32 and then liquid to gas at 212 right what did he just pull these numbers out of his ass nope he pulled them out of his body so kind of what what fahrenheit needed was to peg the scale was he needed something a temperature measure to start with that was constant at sea level, below sea level, and mm-hmm. above sea level. And the human body is about 100 degrees. So his original marker was about 100 degrees for the human body, which is the same temperature when you're 10,000 feet up a mountainside and when you're 2,000 feet below sea level in a valley. It's the same. So based on that 100 or so degrees, again, he doesn't have it graduated to the same level uh, with his first thermometer that he does with later ones that are more accurate but then he can go and freeze now he can go to sea level and freeze water and see at what graduation it freezes it freezes at 32 the same way that water will boil uh transition to gas at 212 so the core measure of that i gotta do this for you young jedi because 100 degrees is not body temperature that's a fever so again 
it, this is because of the way that it's graduated later. Yeah, the human body is 98.6 degrees, which is almost 100 degrees. You know what it is in Celsius? 37 on the button, okay? So that's an arbitrary number, Bill. No, it's not. <laughs> Water freezes at zero, boils at 100, and 37 is your body temperature. Boom. Yep. Nice and easy. Easy to remember. Nice even... Oh, it is an even number. It's a lot more even, 98.6. Again, 98.6 isn't the measure that he started with. His his original measure was 100. Because he was a is, maniac. Uh, well, so anyway, um, yeah. based on what he could do with mercury, which was the material he used in his vacuum-sealed bottle, yeah. to make the measurements, he was able to, to get a rough calculation of the span between boiling water and ice forming and that based on the cut the, the temperature that he started with which was the temperature of his own blood yeah that's where we got the fahrenheit scale oh here's something that you should know what is the flashpoint of paper uh 451 degrees that's right fahrenheit 451 by your friend of mine ray bradbury yes right yep yes uh ray ray bradbury uh, was about book, you know book burnings and stuff like that, and Fahrenheit four fifty one would be the flashpoint of paper. Yes, yes, it is. So, as we talked about, like who likes getting angry? It's like I don't like getting angry, and there I am yelling about Fahrenheit and Celsius. But I think that kind of like anger argument thing is like for comedic purposes. I'm not obviously not really worked up about Fahrenheit. Yes, and, sure. and and I really don't have a dog in the Fahrenheit versus Celsius World Wrestling Federation cage match. It's just I think it's interesting the way that he solved the problem of finding a constant temperature to start with. Might as well use what you oh. got. Yep, he should have started with 37, and we wouldn't be having this problem. <laughs> <laughs> All right, moving on to. January the 2nd, 1903, U.S. President Theodore Roosevelt, a.k.a. Badass. <laughs> uh, <laughs> badass that you don't want to f*** with. Right. Uh, Theodore Roosevelt shuts down the post office in Indianola, Mississippi, for refusing to accept its appointed postmistress because she was black. That takes Boy, a... Boy, this is 19... 1903. Yeah, this is 1903. Yep. So, so yeah, a couple of minutes ago, yeah, yeah, a couple of minutes ago in geologic time, but definitely, uh, you know, in the in the the height of the of the post Reconstruction Jim Crow South, and it goes to show that you know slowly, as slowly as things start to change, it really only happens when it's sort of mang- mashed down from the top, like Lyndon Johnson right. signing the Civil Rights Act, and Theodore Roosevelt having to, you know, well, I'm closing the post office, then f you. Uh, until yeah. <laughs> you accept this postmistress, who I appointed. So get with the program. Right. It's hard to imagine. It's I always think of like historical stuff like this. It's hard to imagine that this is what life was like. And then I remember that this is what life is like now. <laughs> Not all that different. Right. Uh, the thing, I mean, there's an argument to be made about him shutting down the post office because the post office is a part of the Constitution. It's not even in the amendments. It's like in the write-up of the Constitution. Right. So there's a, a weird constitutional argument to be made about him shutting down the post office. Right. But he was like, well, for starters, uh, sir, I am the president of the United States. And in addition to being the president of the United States, I also happen to be Theodore Roosevelt. 
Come fight me. You want to fight? I'll fight you. <laughs> like, hold on. Let me take out my 35-page speech that's in my pocket to protect me from gunfire, and then we can have at it. Right. <laughs> and if I'm not mistaken, isn't Mississippi, like, the last state to, like, ban slavery? Like, they didn't officially ban it until almost recently. Like, it, it wasn't in practice, well, but they didn't officially legally I, ban it until recently. I, I don't know. The outcome of the Civil War is a topic for long, detailed debate beyond the scope of this show. Yeah. Right. I'm looking it up now. I don't, how do you spell Mississippi? I'm only kidding. I can sing. Well, there. There's, uh, <laughs> there's the thing. I always get it wrong unless I sing it out. Yeah. Because I learned how to sing it oh, out. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Otherwise, I'm like, M, uh, F? Is there an F in there? So, here's the deal. Mississippi... Ended slavery. You're not. You're not even ready for this. Ready? March sixteenth, nineteen ninety five. Okay. It was certified February the seventh, two thousand thirteen. That's only eleven years ago, Jeff. Right. Uh, after rejection in December fifth, eighteen sixty five. So yeah, like it wasn't obviously it wasn't in practice in Mississippi. Right. But they didn't get around to passing the law until. Yeah, 11 years ago. Jeez. Progressive Mississippi. Ay, ay, ay. Yeah. So, yeah, they had a hard time getting a black postmistress into that post office, which I'm sure everybody welcomed once Theodore Roosevelt set him straight. Uh, <laughs> but, yeah, Theodore Roosevelt, he, he was a hard-ass dude. He didn't mess around. No. No, he didn't. All right, let's move on to the third. January 3rd, we have our first celebrity birthday of the week. I think there's only two. <laughs> but <laughs> this time, at, yeah. at this time, uh, it's at 1926, on January 3rd, George Martin is born. He was the record producer who didn't discover, but certainly made the sound of the Beatles a thing. To the point where he was sort of mercilessly copied by other record producers in the 1960s. Uh-huh. And was responsible for the sound of the British invasion. More so even than like Denzel Tommy. Though it's interesting about uh, George Martin and the Beatles sound and all that. I had heard a story. Whenever they recorded the Sgt. Pepper's album, like stereophonic records had just right. become like popular. Yep. The record company called up, you know, the Beatles and their managers management and all that, and George Martin, I assume. They said, yeah, we want you to re release that album in stereo. And he's like, we just recorded the whole thing in mono per standard, right, sir. Uh, we're not going to re-record the whole album. And the record company demanded a stereo album from the Beatles. Nice. So what George... Yeah, so what George Martin did at that point is he split it right down the middle. So if you ever listen to the uh, Sergeant, not you, because you'll be telling that story in a second, but <laughs> if you, faithful listeners, ever listen to the Sergeant Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band album in headphones, you'll notice that the drums and the vocals are all in one ear and the instrumentation, like the guitars and stuff like that, are all in the other ear. So if you were to shut the balance off or just take out one of your headphones, all you would hear is like acapella singing and Ringo. Or, if you're me, you just listen to it in headphones and you can only hear whatever's on the right side. So, uh -huh. uh, 
when I listen to music, I can't really listen in headphones anymore unless I force my phone to play it out in mono, which uh-huh. makes Pink Floyd a little less dynamic to listen to uh, in a sure. headset because my left ear doesn't do anything anymore except for hold my glasses on. I like things that are recorded in mono when I have headphones on and I like stereo when I'm listening to ambient music because my brain can fill it in when there's space between the speakers in my head. Hmm. And I like the Beatles, so. Yeah. <laughs> the only reason uh, I would listen to Sgt. Pepper's in headphones is if I could con- convert it to mono because I wouldn't be able to hear the other half of the record, which would irritate me to no end. Yeah, this is a great album. It'd be even better if, like, George Harrison was on it. <laughs> yeah. You know what's great is the vocals and drums. It's all I can hear. It's Ringo. It's like a real <laughs> Ringo-centric record. Who would have thought of that? Yeah. You know, they could have done that new Beatles song like that <laughs> with Paul singing and Ringo playing drums and nobody would have been none the wiser. Right? Uh, oh, yeah. It's from the it's from the Sgt. Pepper sessions. <laughs> Sgt. Pepper's only two-piece band. That's what it's called. <laughs> All right. We're going to move on to the fourth with another celebrity birthday. This is a guy by the name of Bernard Sumner. Uh, he was born... January the 4th, 1956. Now, you and me and probably most of the people listening are like, all right, who the hell is Bernard Sumner? Bernard Sumner is a member of the group New Order, a band that I absolutely love and can only name three songs by. (laughs) New Order for me is a band that I, I hear now and then and think, oh my God, that's New Order? I should listen to them more. And then it immediately evaporates from my brain, and I don't think of them again until I bump into some other New Order song. So I couldn't even name one. I couldn't name a record either. Uh, oh, by them. wow. Uh, so my favorite song from them is a song called True Faith, which had a very bizarre video in the 80s mm-hmm. with, like, a turtle doing sign language and people bouncing on a trampoline. It was right. a very, very bizarre video. And, yeah, that's my favorite song by them. I think a lot of people might know the song Blue Monday or Bizarre Love Triangle. I certainly know Bizarre Love Triangle because Frente, or as they write it down, Frente, did a cover of it. But, uh-huh. you know, the the New Order version of it is very cool as well. Everything I've heard from New Order, I like a lot. But I couldn't name you any songs by them outside of what I just named. You know, I do the album of the day, and there's been New Order albums that come up, and yeah, I like it. I like the whole album, and I always think to myself, oh, I got to go back and listen to this, and then I don't. (laughs) And then I don't. Yeah. It's like me when I run into a by mistake, and I'm like, oh, it's New Order. It's funny you bring up um, Blue Monday, Yeah, because I remember that song only by virtue of the title. Now I'll have to go listen to it after the show and go like, oh, yeah, that's right, New Order, and then I won't listen to it again forever. But I know that yeah, that... I, I think there was a band in the 90s called Orgy that did a cover of it, like I, a heavier version I, of it. I know that the, the the song title is from a Kurt Vonnegut book. Oh. Um, from the book Breakfast of Champions, where he says, no oh. more, goodbye Blue Monday. It's the last thing that oh. his main character's wife writes before she drinks Drano. It's a happy ah, thought. Romance. A romance <laughs> album, yeah. A romance album, yes. Yep. They have an album called Substance which is, it looks like a generic, you know, just as black, you know, it's a white album with black lettering, New Order, Substance, 1987. Mm -hmm. And I'm positive 
that that album is going to exist in my album of the day soon. Because I'm up to like 1992 right now. But I might listen to the album tomorrow at work just because I want to, not because I have to. Yeah. All right. Let's go on to January the 5th. January. Yes. January the 5th, 1961, Bill. A new television phenomenon is born onto the world and lasts for six years. And that phenomenon is called Mr. Ed. Do you know what Mr. Ed was? Yeah, unfortunately I do. Yeah. Mr. Ed was an American sitcom with a talking horse. Yes, it was. Yes, it was. And to give any more description than that probably doesn't do it justice. It won't do it justice because that's really all you need to know. It would go, it would, it would fall in somewhere in between Rin Tin Tin, which was a dog that didn't talk to anybody. Lassie, which was a dog that communicated in weird ass dog sign language. What's that, Lassie? Do you remember where I put the sea clamp? Like that's an actual quote from that show. And then yeah. Mr. Ed, where Mr. Ed dispenses advice to Alan Young. Alan Young is the main character who is Mr. Ed's owner. And the only right. person who can hear Mr. Ed is him. It never got good. It was always, always <laughs> dumb. And, like, what can you do? Mr. Ed can just stand in a stall. He never he never goes anywhere. They could have literally right. put any animal. Like, could have been Mr. Ed is a tropical fish. Or Mr. Ed is a marmot. Or Mr. Ed is, like, a bug. It, it wouldn't make a difference because the voiceover would have been the same. And it's not like right. Mr. Ed dispensed any horse-related wisdom. He just moved yeah, his mouth it, because it, they rubbed yeah. peanut butter on the top of the, the roof of his mouth. Yeah, horse sense. Ha ha. Like, can you imagine the elevator pitch for this? All right, I got an idea for a TV show. All right, we're listening. What do you got? A talking horse. Ah? Huh? So this is huh? like, so this is 1961. <laughs> I, t- let me set the scene for what it's like. At CBS, right? Yeah, it's there's a continuous cloud of smoke in the in from cigarettes in the in the office where the TV season is determined. At yep. noontime, people start drinking and they drink until four thirty in the afternoon. That's when they bring in people to pitch the show. And at that point, they're so <laughs> wasted. They're like a horse, of course. Oh wait, put that in the put that in the thing. Put that in the thing. We got we got to get this on TV. This is going to be amazing. And it was not amazing. Narrator voice. It would it would it would go on to, to to spur a whole bunch of other even lesser shows than Mr. Ed. Like uh, if you read anything about the worst TV in the world, you will inevitably run across a show called My Mother the Car. Which oh was my god, my father. My father used to talk about that show. Anytime there was like a bad, you know, sitcom that come on, he would tell us that we were all lucky that we didn't have to sit through my mother the car. <laughs> so the premise of my mother the car was this guy's mother dies and then she is reincarnated into the audio system of his car. Yes, the audio system being an AM radio. Yeah. <laughs> And even as a kid, my, I'm like seven years old. My father's explaining to me the premise of this show. And I'm like, that sounds stupid. He goes, oh, it was. It totally was. <laughs> it totally was. So let's go watch Knight Rider, which is exactly the same show, except they fight crime. Right. <laughs> my dad's measure for things that were good or bad. It was a movie. It wasn't My Mother the Car, though. He did talk about that show as being unwatchably stupid. But his yeah. his measure was, well... It's no Killdozer. Oh my god, what's Killdozer? <laughs> it's a horror movie about a 
a bulldozer that runs people over. Oh, my God. There was one <laughs> that was similar to that maybe about 10 years ago on Netflix called Rubber, which was like, maybe it was more than 10 years ago, but Rubber was about a killer, yeah, a killer sentient tire. Yeah. I don't remember if Killdozer was sentient. I think it was like a, a comet was going by and it made this particular bulldozer run people over. I don't, I never saw it. It was never one of those films that they had at the local video store when I was a kid. But I did hear tales of it from my dad. Yeah, you know how they, they, they ended Killdozer? You know how they solved that problem? The <laughs> no. Teamsters Union came in. <laughs> hey, you can only kill people between three and four. That's it. It's in the contract. The rest of the time, you got to be pushing the dirt over there. We can't have any sentient bulldozers around here that's going to be driven by a unionized laborer. Right. So, like, the, the Mr. Ed thing. If, yeah. you, if you go back through TV history, like, there are periods where Mr. Ed's, the ghost of Mr. Ed even, keeps coming back. So, in the early 80s, there were shows like Manimal, and even Alf, to some extent, was like Mr. Ed, except everybody could hear Alf talk. It's just this ah. anthropomorphizing like things that aren't people into people to make it funny, and it's never yeah. funny. Alf was kind of funny. Alf was okay. I'll, you know <laughs> what? I'll give you that much. All right, so moving on. Hey, here's somebody that is definitely funny. January the 6th, a celebrity birthday once again. January the 6th, 1955, British comedian Rowan Atkinson. Oh, nice. Probably best known. <laughs> Uh, for being in a couple of James Bond movies, I think, right? <laughs> oh, you see, he was in the uh, the James Bond spoofs, too. The uh, was Something like Johnny Dangerously, but that's not the title. Oh, right. oh yeah, Johnny English. Was he, um, yeah, that's it. Was he ever in any actual James Bond movies? Yeah, he was in He was in a couple of the Timothy Dalton ones. He was... He was... Uh, He's actually in Never Say Never Again with uh, Sean Connery. With Sean Connery, yeah. That's I don't remember him in that one, but again, I haven't seen that movie yeah. since like 1983. But in the right. in the ones, the other ones, I think he played like the connection that um, Timothy Dalton had to. It wasn't the CIA like Felix Leiter, but it was another sort of. He was another character from the the British intelligence that he was paired up with, but he was an idiot. So, as we beat around this bush, Rowan Atkinson is. Actually, probably best known, especially to American audiences, as Mr. Bean. Yes. That's probably where people are going to know him best from. I got turned on to Rowan Atkinson because my friend Jim was a real, real big fan of Black Adder, mm -hmm. which was a British sitcom. Yes. The, the thing that used to kill me the most about Black Adder, he had the most long-winded insults. <laughs> like he wouldn't just call somebody an idiot and all that. He would say, talking to you is like getting a flaming arrow in the neck and then looking down and noticing there's a utility bill attached to it. <laughs> <laughs> yes. That was one of my favorites, yeah. There are, uh, and, so I also am a huge fan of the Black Adder series and there are four of them. Yep. And then there's a couple of, there's a special where it's like Doctor Who, but there's the first one, which has additional dialogue by William Shakespeare, which is yep. Black Adder, uh, and it's built around this pl the play of Richard III. Then there's Black Adder Two, which is set with Queen Elizabeth as an actual character who's insane. And Black Adder the Third, where he is the uh, the butler to the dumb dumb Prince of Wales, played by Hugh Laurie. And then yep. Black Adder goes forth, where he and Hugh Laurie are frontline soldiers, officers in the First World War, 
It has the saddest ending of any TV show I've ever seen. <laughs> Actually, Blackout Goes Forth is my favorite one out, yeah. of, uh, out of those, I think. It's got some bit parts here and there, too. Like, uh, it was in Hot Shots, Part Do. Yep. And, um... Yeah, he was the uh, husband I think of, other... uh, what's-her-face? The He was the husband of um, the girl that was in Hot Shots, Part 1, too, with uh, Charlie Sheen. Oh, Valerie Kapritsky or something like but, that. Yeah, Valerie, yes, that's the one. Can't remember. I can't remember. I don't think it's Valerie Kapritsky, but something like that. She's a Italian actress, yeah. Yes. And... Um, he was also in Rat Race, which was a, a <laughs> yes, remake Cavatron of it's a mad, 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 mad yeah. world. Yeah. But Rat Race is actually really, really funny. And Rowan Atkinson was really funny in it. I remember liking Rat Race quite a bit. Yeah. Yeah. All right. And let's wrap up the week. January 7th, 1975, Bill. Led Zeppelin at yep. the time, one of the biggest bands in the world is set up to play in Boston at Boston Garden. 2,000 people are waiting outside to buy tickets, so the band isn't even, the, like the concert isn't even fully taking place yet. You're buying advanced tickets. Yeah, and for people that don't know Boston or Boston Garden, the 2,000 people in line, that's like 10% of capacity. Yeah. So that's actually a lot, yeah. That's a lot, and it's 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 not a huge place, but I mean, it was, it was big enough for they did NBA basketball and Bruins, uh, hockey, and a lot of concerts. Aerosmith lived in residency there for like 10 <laughs> years in the 1970s. Yeah, and I saw WrestleMania 14 there. It was like one of the, like before they tore down the original garden, I did get mm-hmm. to see uh, WrestleMania over there. It's about a 20,000 seat venue. So anyway, yeah. go on. Let's up. Let's up. So there's 2,000 fans waiting outside of the Boston Garden to buy tickets for an upcoming Led Zeppelin show, which in 75 right. would have been a rocking show. They're at sure. the height of their success. Yeah, 75 would have been like physical graffiti tour. So anyway, the fans are waiting outside. Before long, they decide to just sort of go in. <laughs> like push the doors in at the Boston Garden, go in. And they're still waiting to buy tickets. And and before you can say, whole lot of love, there's a whole lot of damage. $30,000 <laughs> worth of damage. And it's actually known as the Led Zeppelin riot. Because they were rioting uh-huh. over... Trying to buy tickets and wait in line? I don't understand. Um, well, it's may- January in Boston, so they must have been freezing their tits off out there. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure they were chilly. Yeah, I'm sure they were chilly. Yeah. But again, you know, you don't have to go stand in line. You can buy tickets from a scalper. <laughs> They'll go <laughs> stand in line for you. But then again, those are probably the people who are riding. So what do I know? So uh, adjusted for inflation, it's about one hundred seventy-one thousand dollars in today's money. Oof. Let's call a spade a spade here. I know a lot of people bitch about ticket prices and how Ticketmaster gouges the hell out of it and this, right. that, and the other. But you can just buy tickets on your phone now, yeah. kids. You know, you don't have to go stand in line. You know, in January in Boston outside of the venue. I remember being a teenager and I used to work for a scalper, mm-hmm. which. Uh, may or may not be the truth, depending on if I'm under oath. <laughs> Are you under oath, uh, Bill? I don't right believe now, no, I I'm not. may you be under so, No. So I used to work for a scalper, and we used to sleep out, my friend John and I, we used to sleep outside of the Providence Civic Center in his car, waiting for the doors to open, and we would go and buy 
you know, a handful of tickets, uh, right. you know, working for the scalper. That was uh, an interesting time to be alive, you yes. know. But now everything's all automated and stuff like that. And they got the, the ticket resellers and you can sell your tickets once you buy them through these different websites. When I went to see the Misfits over this last summer, I bought my ticket for like $40. Somebody right. was just looking to unload their ticket. Yeah. Jeez. While I never worked for a ticket scalper, I did buy tickets from them every now and then. That's how I ended I up never, at Pink I Floyd. I never worked for a ticket scalper either, Jeff. <laughs> <laughs> what sort of surprises me, you know, when you talked about adjusted for inflation, that $30,000 damage is like, what do you say? It was 120000 or so? 171. Okay. So $171,000, which is about the equivalent of today in today's TD Bank North Garden. Like somebody knocked over five beers and <laughs> they dropped four hot dogs. They used six plastic cups. That's about $171,000 worth of damage right there. You know, the concert riots and all that, there's a, a, the unfortunate one several years later with the Who. Because right. people are trying to get in, which is why general admission doesn't really exist anymore. Right. I actually went to that site uh, where that happened a couple of years, last year. That was interesting. There was the one, I went by the arena too when I was in St. Louis, whenever Guns N' Roses played three songs and Axel was like, yeah, I'm not really into this and walked off the stage. There was a riot <laughs> over there too. If you're going to riot over a band, man, don't let it be Guns N' Roses. Jeez. Yeah. Imagine having that on your uh, resume. Have you ever been arrested? Yeah, I went to the Guns N' Roses. Con- say no more. You're, we, we, you don't have to go any further. You right. you went to Guns N' Roses concert. We understand. Right. We you're not. We know you're, who you that's are. right. Yes, you're not. You're not going to get this job. Just putting that out there. Yeah, I don't think you're a good fit. For <laughs> I don't us. think yeah. we're, we're going to go with another candidate. Someone who got into a fist fight at a motorhead show. Sorry, it's just the way that we work here. <laughs> Boston has a history of dealing with potential rock and roll riots differently than other cities seem to have. So a few, I guess a few years before this, the same mayor, Mayor, I think it was Mayor Markey, Mayor Macy, he ended up springing. I think it was Markey. It was Markey, right? He sprung yeah. the rolling, he was able to call and spring the Rolling Stones from jail in Rhode Island, where they were all being held after a <laughs> concert didn't go as well as it could have, because they were scheduled to play in Boston, and he didn't want to riot in Boston. So he was able to call and convince I guess the governor of Rhode Island to pardon them and get them out of jail so they could come and play the show. Or he called the Teamsters Union because <laughs> we know who we know who runs Rhode Island. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Buddy. Buddy Cianci's father. Yes. Yeah. Um, and then there's even earlier when uh, Martin Luther King was was murdered, there was a, a James Brown show that was going on in Boston, and he was able to keep the audience of something like 26,000 people from rioting. Acknowledge that this had happened. Talk to the crowd about why they were there. Like, you can watch videos of it. It's pretty awesome. Oh, wow. He held everybody together for that, and it it didn't descend into madness in the city. Too bad he wasn't in Led Zeppelin. Yeah, I wouldn't want to be the security detail knowing that happened. Holy cow. Right. But, yeah, good for that for uh, calming it down. Yep. All right, before we get into our worst song ever today, Jeff, Uh, we have our weird holiday for the week. Yes, we do. And you and I will be celebrating just like we celebrate every week for the last three or four years, or however however long it's been. Uh, January the 4th is Trivia Day. (laughs) Ha, 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 ha. Oh, man. It's very popular and always (laughs) well-received. No wonder I'm not good. I always forget that day, or I never know what day it is. I kill 
at trivia. Like, I've never been to bar trivia nights because, yeah. generally speaking, they're during the week, and I I work. I can't get out to the bars right, and right, stuff right. like that. But, like, if I'm ever at somebody's house and they got, like, a trivia pursuit or some sort of game, I kill. Like, people are always asking to get me on their team and stuff. I'm good at trivia until it becomes a sports question. Then I'm completely destroyed. Oh, oh yeah, no, that's not my strong suit either, obviously. But, and I'm not saying this as like a dick swing to say that I'm so much smarter than everybody. In fact, quite the opposite. I'm a dingaling. I just remember stupid stuff. That's right. the stuff that sticks out in my mind. And people are like, how do you know that? I was like, yeah, go ahead. Ask me, you know, who the vice president was underneath Coolidge because I don't know. I don't know <laughs> anything unless it's not important. Yeah. Yes. There was a, there's a bar here in a bar slash restaurant here in town that does like the trivia with, uh, you can't see my hands, but I'm pretending to hold like an iPad or something, but it use a, uh-huh. a tablet to play trivia. Yeah. And it shows yeah, yeah. the questions up on screens and you can see who's in the lead and all this sort of stuff. And I used to play, I used to go every now and then and play that. And I was, again, I was good until I had to deal with sports questions, but I used to bring a sports guy with me. Because you gotta you gotta bring a ringer, so he'd be like, "Oh, that's a, uh, yeah, that's a uh, Ted, you know, four balls Gabral. He's the guy who hit the seventy five hundred foot thing." And I was like, "God, all right, good, we got that one." <laughs> and then the next question was like, "What was the last song the Beatles recorded together?" And I'm like, oh, "I know that one already." So I gotta call Bill. So call Bill. All right. Do you have a segue? I don't have a segue. I don't have a segue. The worst song ever all right jeff uh this was a suggestion of yours what do we got this week uh it's a suggestion of mine because it's come up in conversation at other times during the show and i blurted out worst song ever (laughs) and and that seeded this being the worst song ever so today we're talking about the first number one i don't know if it won number one but the first hit for megan trainer who is a pop songwriter the song is called all about the bass Because you know I'm all about that bass, about that bass, no trouble. I'm all about that bass, about that bass, no trouble. I'm all about that bass, about that bass, no trouble. I'm all about that bass, about that bass. So all about the bass is the first single from her first album title, which is a terrible title for a record. Putting that out the there. Confusing title it's at a that, confusing at that, title at that. Confusing title at all, right? It's like the none more black scene in Spinal Tap. That's all I can think of when I see the title. <laughs> and when I see title as the title. Uh, like, you put a lot of effort into the record. Call it something else. Like, P.I.L. has an album called Album. It's like, yeah. all right, dudes. <laughs> I got you. Look, minimum effort. I totally get that when you're not being paid enough, but, like, you're going to get paid a ton for this record. At least call it something useful. As you've heard in the clip, the song is at the very tail end of, like, I'm not saying this as a pejorative. It's just a subgenre of music that was really popular in the early 2000s was, like, White Girl Soul. So, it's Duffy. Like Duffy, the Ting Tings, ultimately become Megan Trainer, um, uh, Amy Winehouse, and others who sang sort of '60s style Motownish pop music. Right, were really popular for about five years, and at the end of that five years or so, that's kind of when this record came out. 
Yeah, you know who else was in that little uh, that little pocket too is uh, J Lo. She had a song called "Not Your Mama," which is amazing. Right. And then I found out that that song was written by. You want to take a guess? Take a stab. It was yeah. written by Megan Trainer. Yeah, Megan Trainer. So Megan Trainer, for all the shit we're going to talk about her today, and there'll be plenty, is a very, very, very accomplished, talented songwriter. She is. Yes. She's been compared to the songwriters who worked in the Brill Building, who. Like Carol King and Jerry Goffin and Neil Diamond effectively made popular music in the 60s, popular music in the 60s if they weren't the Beatles, right? And she yeah, has they didn't the, have George Martin in their pocket, yeah. Right. She has the gift of writing super duper hooky songs as almost novelty as they are. In fact, I would argue that most of this record is a novelty record, but that's for a whole different conversation. Focusing back on All About the Bass, there's three things to know about this song. One, if you've heard it once, you never, ever, ever have to hear it again. <laughs> Two, if you've heard it once, it's going to take days and possibly weeks for you to stop hearing it in your head, which is why you never need to hear it again. And then <laughs> three, you never hear this song out in the wild for the first two reasons. So rec I don't think it's legal for record for radio stations to play this song. Because of that. They play other stuff off this <laughs> record, like Walk of Shame, and they play Love Like You're Gonna Lose Me, but they don't play this one much because it's so obnoxious. Well, not just that, too, is like we were talking at the beginning of the show with the YouTube section come to life, the YouTube comment <laughs> section come to life, is, so this song is about body positivity. She wrote it when she was like 17, 18, yeah. 19 years old. You know, Megan Trainer, if you see her, she was at that time a bigger girl yes. you know and she didn't you know she doesn't fit the mold of pop singers they're you know they tend to be model-esque physiques whereas megan trainer wasn't and the song was about being comfortable in your own skin right and you know body positivity you know god love you but of course people can't be happy people just refuse to be happy right and you know, they take the line, you know, all about that bass, no trouble, meaning big girls, beautiful, thin girls, not. Right. That's how they took it. And they'll, you know, then the skinny girls of America union, like, well, there's nothing wrong with being skinny. It's like, oh, my God, all you do, you live to freaking argue. Shut up. Shut up. You know, the real nightmare here, Bill. <laughs> Besides the song. No, that's my callback to our conversation at the okay. very beginning of the show. Um, oh. Oh, the real nightmare. Yeah, yeah. Sorry. I missed that one. Yes. Uh, Megan Trainor was born in Nantucket, Massachusetts. So, yes. like, I was watching a couple of interviews with her, and they're like, Massachusetts native. And you hear her talk, and she sounds like she's from Nashville, you know? Yes. Uh, but they're like, Massachusetts native. And I was like, oh, I wonder where in Massachusetts she's from. Because I was picturing, like, Western Mass. Nope. Because Nope. It's as far <laughs> Eastern Mass as you can go. Yeah. So, for those who do not have a map of Massachusetts in their head, she is from Nantucket, which is technically not Massachusetts. It's owned by Massachusetts, but it's an island off of the coast of Massachusetts. There are two of them over there. There's Martha's Vineyard and Nantucket. There's lots to do on Martha's Vineyard. Not really, but comparatively speaking to Nantucket, there's a ton to do on Martha's Vineyard. Yes. Nantucket's just like vacant. It's a vacant lot. Nantucket was featured in the movie One Crazy Summer. Yeah. Do you remember? B 
Because there's nothing to do over there's there. There's one yeah. bar, yeah. The do drop in. She's from Nantucket. She is a multi-instrument player. She's very good at it, as I understand it. And had, uh, I guess, was offered a full road scholarship to Berkeley School of Music, which is like the school of music to go to on the East Coast uh, in sure. Boston. And she kind of turned it down so she could go and write more songs in Nashville, which, you know. And then there was a riot. You know what? I, Given my druthers, I may have done the same thing. And we're worried about it a lot. You know, am I making the right decision? What am I going to do? If I'm not? And then hooks up with a producer, is able to pull together the songs for the title album. And she had, I think, three three hit singles off of this record. So it's not bad. It's just, it's less it's just my awful. style. It's, it's, it's not bad. It's just awful. Yeah. And while I, I don't fall into like the, well, you know, the body positivity thing and the don't be like mean to skinny girls or whatever, like all the other sort of horse manure that sort of circles around these songs. Like I'm like you, I'm able to remember like, yeah, dude, when I was 19 years old, the last thing that was on my mind was being profound. And I couldn't be because I was 19 <laughs> years old. Like, I, I, I didn't know my ass from a hole in the ground, literally. So let me tell you, for somebody who was trying to be profound at age 19, when you're trying to be profound, you come out pretentious. Yeah, you it, you fail miserably. I'm just telling it like, everybody out there who's 19 who's thinking, but I really know how the world works. You don't know. <laughs> just, to, <laughs> just to stop it now. So if you watch the video for this and then like the follow-up single, Dear Future Husband, which let me tell you, I had a hard time making a decision between which song we were <laughs> going to cover. One, they both are terrible and hard to listen to. And two, they're kind of both the same song. Megan Trainer has a lot of influence with 1950s and 60s doo-wop. Yeah. And it's very, very evident in the music and the production. Yes. I am also aware that Dear Future Husband is on this record. And and I, too, had a hard time picking the song that was the most annoying. Personally, yep. I hate Dear Future Husband. That song, like... It makes me unhappy when I listen to it, so I studiously avoid ever listening to it. Unless it makes me want to I riot. have to. It makes me want to riot. It makes me want to kick down the doors <laughs> of the Boston Garden in 1975 to get my ZEP tickets. The other point I wanted to make about the Megan Trainer like videos and stuff like that is she may be a very accomplished musician, songwriter, singer. She's got a beautiful voice yep. uh, when she sings, but that girl doesn't dance very well. So what happens when you watch these videos, to me anyway, they always come across like a Saturday Night Live sketch. Mm -hmm. You know, like because there was actually a girl on Saturday Night Live, A.D. Bryant, who doesn't look all that dissimilar to uh, Megan Trainor. They, yep. You know, they have similar looks and they have similar body types. You know, Eddie Bryant was a bigger girl too. Yep. Immensely talented, super funny. I loved her when she was on the show, but Eddie Bryant and Megan Trainor are not dancers. Right. They're shown how to dance for these little sketches or the music video. So, yeah, uh, Megan Trainor comes across the video, looks like, am I supposed to be laughing at this? Is this a joke? <laughs> you know? Is this a Saturday Night Live sketch? No, this is a serious mode of music video about body positivity. And this girl can't dance. <laughs> uh, as I watched the, the video for All About the Bass and the, some of the other songs, including a, a track from like 2019, it, it dawned on me sort of what she was going for as far as the, well, I, again, I don't know who directed the videos, but what the video was going for visually. And it was going for Hairspray. Did you ever, have you seen Hairspray? 
It does have a very similar look to Hairspray, yes. It is, absolutely. It is a, like a tribute to Hairspray. All it needed was Divine to come in and like dance at the end. Yep. All it needed was John Waters' mustache. Yeah, like it's like the same gimmick all the way through, which is why she doesn't she didn't have the musical staying power, at least in the United States, for her subsequent records. That and that subgenre just collapsed in on itself really quickly once her record came out. And it, I don't think one thing is related to the other. I think just people got sick of hearing like, "Oh, this sounds like Martha and the Vandellas." Why did I just go listen to <laughs> Martha and the Vandellas? Also, she put out a Christmas album, which is the that's the death nail right there. Oh yeah. Yeah, that's that's like that's like Tiffany and Debbie Gibson type stuff. Like, oh well, you got a hit song, huh? Nineteen year old girl who wrote all the music herself. Well, we got a thing for you. Go sing Silent Night. So, in more recent days, she's been married. She has. She just had a, a second kid about maybe six months ago. Uh, she's got two children. So she had surgery for the kids. You know, she had to have yeah. C section, and. It actually led to some like some postpartum. Is that how you say it? Postpartum. Yes, postpartum. Post postpartum depression, and but she used it for like good because she ended up losing like sixty pounds. Right. So you see her now, and it's like, wait, I thought this was the bigger girl that sang all about that bass, where she's down to a weight that, like, if if her gimmick was how big she was, she doesn't have the gimmick anymore. Right. Her and Adele could go out on tour together. Oh my God, yeah. Um, I I think that you know she's also been transitioned way more into television, but not television here in the United States. She's been on the Australian version of The Voice for like four or five years now, and has done other oh, sure. stuff. She like opens their Grammys and other things, so she's definitely got a strong career. She does voiceovers for cartoons as well. Yeah, yeah. but. Before we wrap up the show, I do have the answer to the very popular and always well-received trivia question. I think I also have the answer to the always popular and well-received trivia question. Very good. So before the the Beatles broke up in the very late 60s or very early 70s, depending on who you ask, what was the last song that they wrote and recorded together? The last song that the Beatles wrote and recorded together was All Together Now for the soundtrack to Yellow Submarine, which is the last Beatles movie that came out because Let It Be didn't come out until it didn't come out until it was on home video. That's a good answer. It's wrong, but that's oh, a good answer. Oh, was <laughs> totally worth a try. Nope. The last song that they wrote, uh, recorded together was on Let It Be, which is the last Beatles album, even though Abbey Road came recorded. out later. Or Ab- Abbey Road yeah, came out after. Abbey yeah. Road... Yeah, but they recorded the majority of Abbey Road after the Let It Be sessions, but there was one more song that kind of like trailed off. Uh, so it's a song on the Let It Be album. It was the last song that they all recorded together. It is a George Harrison song called I Me Mine. Mm-hmm. Which, honestly, that's my favorite song on on Let It Be. I love that song. I'll have to throw on the CD. I, that's one I picked up recently at a surf shop. Which is yeah. nice. I've listened to it just a couple of times since then. I haven't. That's not one of the Beatles records that I had as a kid. So, uh, if you can find a copy online or whatever, try the "Let It Be Naked" because there's a lot of like background noise and ambient stuff that goes on in between the songs on "Let It Be" okay. and "Let It Be Naked." They take all that out. Oh, all right. All right, but that's gonna wrap up the show for this week. We'll see you back here in seven days. Say goodnight, Jeff. Goodnight, Jeff. Bye, guys. Bye, everybody. 
Hey, thanks for listening to Twibbly, or This Week Was Way Better Last Year. Special thanks to James Coster for our theme music. You can find us and message us on Instagram and Facebook using TWWWBLY. Don't forget to tell all your friends about our podcast. Tell them it's like Shark Week, but like more weeks and less sharks. <laughs>